The Fontenelle Final Bell Podcast is presented by Fontenelle Hybrids. The solutions you need, the relationships you trust. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. A Monday is upon us. The first full week of trading, by the way, for the month of February. Mike Suzalo is joining us, Global Commodity Analytics. And uh, we were kind of joking um, off before we started this uh, interview, Mike, was there's not a lot going on this week until we hit February 8th. And then everything is going to get kind of crazy. A lot of information is going to be thrown at producers in a very short amount of time. And you guys as well, closely keeping an eye on what those numbers might say. Oh, I know. And, you know, this is one of those things where we haven't felt the full effects of the the shutdown. And we're going to feel it Friday, I think, Susan. Um, I think we're also probably going to start to feel the more full effects of the U.S. trade negotiations between us and China because, excuse me, I would think between now and Friday we'll get a little bit more indication of when we're going to meet with uh, the two big leaders, the U.S. and China, the presidents are going to meet, and uh, whether the President of the United States is going to meet with uh, North Korea and when that is going to be. And my expectation is that he could, President Trump, make the announcement as soon as uh, his State of the Union address. So I think the roller coaster ride begins uh, Tuesday with the State of the Union address and strap yourself in and don't eat a lot because it's going to be one of those roller coaster rides that last all the way through Friday's close, I'm afraid. So how do you go out and plan your marketing for this week, knowing that we do have the State of the Union that is later than originally planned, and then you've got the ramp up to this report, which is going to bring us the numbers that from the January report that we didn't get? I continue to keep private estimates for the South American crop, and I continue to key private estimates for the final January crop here in the United States. And, and what I told clients and subscribers in, the, in my weekly market brief through charts and through talking, you know, writing, was that you know, we came in with a 955 million bushel carryover here in the United States uh, for 1819. USDA was still sitting at the 120 level for Brazilian bean production on, De- on December 10th. Um, I think that we're closer to an 835, 837 carryover by taking a million acres off harvested acres from last fall and the harvest delays, which I'm still, I still saw last week bean fields that were unharvested in southern Illinois all the way into Indiana, and I know other states have it as well. I'm also taking six-tenths of a bushel uh, off the national acreage so that we're essentially coming in with the 4.5 billion bushel crop. That's what I think. The USDA should say on Friday's report domestically, my Brazilian soybean estimate has dropped from about 118.5 down to 114.5. And, and, and harvest now, we found out today um, through the, uh, uh, I think it was AgRAL came out and said we're about 19% harvested versus 6% last year. It's going to be hard for me to cut my harvest much more than that since we're harvesting so aggressively at this point, but in my production, I should say. So, that's the supply side. The real unknown, though, and that, that's, you know, this is what we're trying to get from USDA is the supply side. The real unknown is the demand side because of African swine fever, and that's where not just Friday's report but continuing reports throughout the next couple months should provide a lot more indications. But I've got unconfirmed sources that are starting to tell me a number of how much uh, the Chinese have called in terms of sows, and uh, I'm hearing a number that is around 6 million head. And just to give you a context for that, 
that's the size of our whole female breeding inventory in the United States as of the December Hogs and Pigs report. So we're talking about not just the supply side that we've got to get nailed down again, but also the demand side, and that's what's going to add to the volatility. So when I try and project both of those, I try and give the producers an overvalue level, which is 985 in November beans, predicated on what I just said. And I'll adjust maybe 20, maybe 30 cents, but I feel like globally we've got enough excess supplies. I won't have to adjust that much more until we get to the summer weather here in the United States. Well, and you, you talk about those numbers, and I, I want to quickly look at those hogs for a brief second. Uh, even though we do livestock in the back half, it has such a tie-in with the soybeans, with the soybean meal, because there has been, and you're not the first one to say there's been talk of even bigger numbers than what China's been reporting. That's going to take a drastic cut into our soybean, soybean meal export. And this is the root cause of why we can't rally above the trading range of the 930 area or 935. And I, I make a pretty big point in most of my seminars and, and have made it for many, many years, especially the last four or five, that there's some pretty important lines at 840, at 940, and at 1040, plus or minus a nickel when you look at a monthly soybean chart. And when you can go above or below one of those key numbers, uh, you tend to stay above or below those key numbers. And I think that, at the end of the day, today was a perfect example of it to me, Susan. We had a four or five cent higher day, and then all of a sudden the meal came in and trashed the market and closed down a buck twenty and pulled the beans back down where they're only up about a penny. That's what we've seen ever since the rally late last year led by what happened in Argentina and the Rotterdam market leading the whole world higher. I think that's what we need again, and I really question, to your point, whether we can get something like that given the African swine fever numbers that we're talking about in China, and that China's not the only country that has it, that we have it in Europe and we have it in other parts of the world that really makes you wonder about the soy meal demand in general for the next six to nine months. Have we heard anything about possible shipping dates for China for this recent purchase? They announced this last week? No, I think that the 1819 marketing year is the only thing that they're willing to put out right now. There's, there's talk in Chicago that because Brazil is just now starting to harvest that there's a little bit of a hole and there's also talk that the, the Chinese want the beans sooner rather than later because they're essentially going to subsidize the hog producers, making them essentially repopulate, even though the disease isn't completely under control, but making that pain a lot less severe by keeping the bean prices low, which in turn keeps the meal prices low and essentially helps improve their margins. And so my, my sense is based upon all that wrapped up together is it's going to go pretty quickly out the door and get over there by the folks we have more of the Fontenelle final bell coming up after this on the rural radio network Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield as we continue to take a look at the markets with Mike Zuzalo of Global Commodity Analytics. And before we jump into the rest of the livestock side, I wanted to hit a little bit more on, on the grain perspective. Looking at winter kill, I mean, we talk a lot about wheat. It's right in your backyard, sort of, to the west. But there has been producers all across the upper Midwest. Not only worried about winter kill for wheat, but winter kill for alfalfa and what that's going to mean to be able to feed these livestock or do some grazing in the early spring, Mike. Yeah, and this is something where I think you've got a big dislocation in the market, Susan, between what the futures traders are thinking right now 
versus what the boots on the ground and producers and farmers and ranchers are thinking. I saw firsthand in Illinois and Indiana last week, <clears throat> excuse me, where I was traveling, there was none whatsoever in terms of uh, snow cover and, and protection for the harsh Arctic air that they saw in those regions. And, and that went very far south. I mean, I woke up Wednesday morning in Springfield, Illinois, which is, you know, essentially the second half, the southern, start of the southern half of Illinois at 23 below zero. And I think this is where the trade, even on today's trade, was talking about how it was going to warm up and there was going to be rains that were going to be beneficial to the soft red wheat crop. I don't think the trade understands what kind of um, ground uh, that we're dealing with in these temperature extremes, what it can do to the ground on what is already a very light acreage base or low acreage base. And this is where we're already starting to see it in the livestock and the cattle. Uh, cattlemen, especially out west of me, near Wichita, out towards um, uh, Hutchinson, where wheat acres were already down, uh, they're starting to see quite a bit of increase in prices for hay, straw, and, and, and alfalfa and things like that as you bring as you talked about so i'm in the camp that you've got a situation where wheat can go through this recent trading range high of about the 525 530 level and i think once it does it's going to stay above it for probably three to six months so this is one of the key elements to the post friday report wheat is my leader in terms of the overall marketplace bias and to add to that is i think we've got a much more firm grasp that Russia is running tighter on exportable wheat stocks. So I think you've got the wheat as probably, you know, in kind of a pole position situation going into Friday's report that if we get some good news and a little bit more bad weather, these traders may be caught on the wrong side and want to jump back into the long side of the wheat. Let's jump over to the rest of the livestock complex. These feeder cattle, what was the fire under them today? I think it kind of goes back to the fact that our slaughter and production numbers year-to-date in cattle and in beef are down 2.5%. We don't have that excess supply that we've been used to the last six months. And so when we start talking about another cold snap in the plains and we're right in the middle of calving season, I think the market's going to react to supply-demand fundamentals a lot more quickly than they have been, especially more friendly supply-demand fundamentals for prices because they don't have that excess supply that they've been able to say, oh, yawn, who cares? We got extra supplies. Don't worry about it. Well, those times are changing. I think this is an important development for 2019. I think it's an important development going back to the African swine fever and the hogs actually being a supportive feature to the beef market and also the beef production numbers themselves being more supportive as we get deeper into 2019. So I'm less of an aggressive hedger in 2019, especially after the second quarter, than I would be, uh, say, a year ago or two years ago. And I think this is an important development and an important shift that we have to keep in mind because we've been so used to being such a big price taker in the cattle market, especially. So is that the reason why the live cattle went up higher was because of how the feeder cattle were trading today? Yeah, I think that feeder fat spread is very much in, in favor of the feeders right now. And so I think for the next month or so, uh, if the feeders go up, the fats will go up to a degree, but right now the premium is still in the fat cattle, so I would expect them to be maybe a little bit less lively and jump a little bit less in percentage terms to the upside unless we really saw something shift in terms of uh, something that would do damage to the actual market-ready live cattle market. Now, what about for these hogs? I mean, we talked a lot about the effects of what's been happening in China, and despite uh, buyer support, is it kind of 
unrestricted in what we saw with the gains today, or is it all tied back to what's been happening in China? I think it's all tied back to the funds pressing the market too hard to the downside because they could get away with it because of our hog slaughter. You know, our year-to-date production right now has eclipsed 2 billion pounds as of last week's numbers, as of January 28th. That's 1.5% higher than uh, last year. Our um, slaughter is up about 1.7% at about 9.4 million heads. So I think that the funds have been able to press this market extra hard to the downside because of uncertainty about the U.S.-China trade negotiations and excess supply, and that also wrapped up in the cutout value. Now I think things are starting to turn around where maybe the trade understands that good, favorable U.S.-China trade negotiations could essentially put a low in the market. What is the best way for producers to get a hold of you, Mike? Best way is to go to globalanalytics.biz or do a Google search for Mike Zuzalo, and that'll come up. Otherwise, call me toll-free and talk about your specific needs, 866-471-2588. And that is the Fontenelle Final Bell being brought to you by Fontenelle and all the local dealers on the World Radio Network.